And so, in thinking about the two paths, we now come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. These teachings that Jesus gave His disciples there on the mountainside. Words that are life-giving. Words where Jesus expresses what the kingdom of God is all about. It is about a heart surgery. It's about transformation from the inside out. It's about Jesus going below the surface and addressing our thoughts and affections and allegiances. But we know at the end of a sermon, there needs to be an invitation. That's the way it's supposed to be. For a time here, recently, we tried to divorce the sermon from the invitation over the last few years, and admittedly, a lot of that was my own pushing. I found that end of the sermon to be a little awkward to transition into the invitation, and of course, the invitation has a history to it. It goes back to the revivals, and in my thinking, we're in a different culture, a different setting from the invitation when it was born 150 years ago. But as you've noticed, by inertia, like a magnet, the invitation has come back to the end of the sermon. And so why fight it? It's going to come back anyways. But when you think about it, the good news is an invitation. And Jesus wasn't against invitations. In his greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus extends an invitation. Matthew chapter 7 is Jesus' invitation. And if you look closely enough at the end of chapter 7, and maybe it's in one of these paraphrase Bibles, you can find a couple verses of just as I am there at the end. What's the content of this invitation? Well, we get a little taste of it in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, our sermon text this morning. Matthew chapter 7. Beginning in verse 13. Hear the word of God. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. May God bless the reading of his word. About eight or nine years ago, I brought up an image in a Bible class. So I think it's reached its statute of limitations. I'm able to resurrect it for a sermon. Uh, But it was from a movie I saw when I was a kid. It was one of those Saturday afternoon movies. And I was watching it with my dad. It's a movie called... The Poseidon Adventure, starring Gene Hackman and Ernest Borgnine. And Leslie Nielsen, I was surprised. He's the captain, and uh, that's that's troublesome if Leslie Nielsen is your your captain. It was one of those disaster movies from the 1970s, and for those of you who grew up in the 1970s, you know there were a lot of disaster movies, and uh, some of them were about actual disasters. But this one was about a ship called the Poseidon, a cruise ship that was on its last voyage. And the boat runs into a monstrous wave caused by an earthquake. And the boat capsizes, and there's this scene of this big dining room, and it's a a Christmas 
New Year's celebration, and it's festive. The men, the women, the children are, are laughing and dancing and dining, unaware of what's about to hit. And then terror ensues as the wave hits and the boat capsizes and the floor becomes the ceiling and the ceiling becomes the floor. And of course, panic ensues. And there, amidst the panic, there are two competing voices that take over. One of the voices comes from one of the officials of the boat, and his task is to try to make the people calm. And so he says this phrase over and over again, Remain calm. Keep your positions. Help is on the way. And he repeats himself, Remain calm. Keep your positions. Help is on the way. Well, it serves its purpose. It does provide a level of calm for the crowd. But there was another voice, and it came from a young Gene Hackman who was not so calm. He played the part of an embattled preacher. He was right on the verge of losing his faith. He was being transferred to Africa. That's why he was on that boat. Because he was stirring up a lot of trouble in his congregation. But he quickly realizes, we're in dire straits. This is a life and death situation. And so he orchestrates this plan to climb up to the top of the ship, which is now the bottom. And he and a few others grab this big metal Christmas tree and fasten it to the next level. And they climb up to the next story. But the problem is no one's following them. Most of the people are still on the ground, and so Gene Hackman gives this speech. He implores them. What are y'all doing? You need to come up here. It's foolishness to stay in the dining room. It's sheer foolishness. And the people, for whatever reason, they just couldn't hear it. Some because they were frozen in fear. Some, perhaps, because they didn't recognize the peril of their situation, but they choose to stay. All they could hear was, remain calm, keep your positions, help is on the way. You know, it's funny, some of the memories that stick in your mind from your childhood, you wonder, how, how did, why did that stay and something else leave. Well, this scene of the dining room was one of those weird things that stayed in my mind. And I remember thinking as a kid, would I have followed Gene Hackman up that Christmas tree up to the next level, or would I have stayed there in the dining room? And of course, danger awaited those who stayed in the dining room. Death awaited those who stayed in the dining room. Just after Hackman starts to lead this little tiny band up to the top of the ship, water breaks into the dining room, and everyone who stayed drowned. Now, years ago, I don't know when exactly it happened, something shifted in the life of the church, in the preaching and the teaching of the church, and of course I'm downstream from this, we used to have a caricature of certain sermons, a certain style of a sermon. We called it hellfire and brimstone sermons. 
And for some of us in this room who grew up with a steady diet of hellfire and brimstone, you're probably saying, I'm glad we left that behind. That was a good thing to run away from. Now, admittedly, I didn't grow up with a lot of hellfire and brimstone sermons. I was from a small church, and we didn't have a paid preacher. We had volunteer preachers, guest preachers. Every once in a while, we would have someone come in who was of that ilk. They would, well, you would walk away, certainly, worse than you felt when you came in. And they weren't asked to come back. Because that type of preaching is off-putting. It's harmful for a congregation. It, it affects the whole ethos of the congregation when you have a steady diet of that. It heightens the anxiety. It presents, at least in my estimation, a warped view of God and His love. I think it places an overemphasis on Decision, decision, decision. I think that feeds the anxiety of a congregation, but I think it's a worthwhile question to ask. What happens when the pendulum swings the other way? All the way in that direction. Are there harmful things that are produced when those things are never talked about, when the destinations, the eternal destinations are never spoken of. What's on the other side of the pendulum? Is it not complacency? Is it not a lack of a sense of urgency? Is it not a group of people who perhaps are caught up in sin with no fear of the consequences? Is it not a general malaise that sets in when it comes to living faithfully? Well, some might be getting a little nervous right now. Is he going old school? Is he going to become a hellfire and brimstone preacher? No. I'm not going to be a hellfire and brimstone preacher because Jesus was not a hellfire and brimstone preacher except when he was. Jesus was gracious, and he met people where they were at. But make no mistake about it, Jesus was a disruptor of lives. And if you want to find a sense of urgency, look no further than the preaching of Jesus of Nazareth. It is all over the place in the Gospels. He does not mince words. Here's a tiny sample the man that he heals at the pool of Bethesda, the lame man, what are his words? Sin no more or something worse is going to happen to you. The wonderful story that we read about where the woman is caught in adultery and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, are ready to stone her and Jesus says, whoever is without sin cast the first stone. It's quoted even in the culture, that one's quoted. And then you remember what she said? What Jesus said to her following that? Sin no more. Jesus had a lot of hard things to say to the religious leaders. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says this, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. 
For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Or keep reading the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And the list could go on and on. Why it's important to read the Gospels. It's there in the text. And of course, our sermon text, Jesus does not mince words as well. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow, the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus is offering an invitation. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is not a game that we play. This is not something we take lightly. This really is a matter of life and death. This is why God with us has come. He has come to show us the way to break us out of our apathy because there comes a point where you have to make a choice. We have to choose the path, and it's going to determine everything, including our eternal destination. That's really what this passage is about, the eternal destiny. So, either we will follow the voice of the one in whom we find salvation, or we will stay on the dining room floor. There are only two paths. There's really no middle ground. From the Garden of Eden to today, here in Austin, Texas, in 2019, there are two paths. And so, on a morning when we've dedicated our children, and we have heard the charge given to the parents, and we have received the charge given to the church, we take up that mantle to teach our children to listen to the voice of truth, to follow that voice, to walk in faithfulness to the only one who can provide for us salvation, but also to teach them that staying in the dining room or staying in neutral or just drifting with the current, whatever metaphor you want to use, in the kingdom of God, that is not an option. It's not. There has to be a turn. There has to be a choice to follow, to follow the voice. We call that repentance, turning away from, turning toward God. Well, there is a great line from the Poseidon Adventure, and By the way, I think it would be a good exercise, maybe a painful exercise, to watch this with your children. I rewatched it 
You're not going to find uh, Academy Award-winning acting. The special effects are a little dated. But I think if you stick with it, I think what you'll find with your children is a gospel metaphor. Uh, there's a great scene there in a, a wonderful line that comes from an older woman who's there in the dining room floor, and her husband is trying to convince her to go up that tree, to go climb that tree, to follow Hackman up to the next level to try to make their way to the top. And she's exhausted. The boat just capsized, and that took a toll on her. She doesn't want to do it, and Hackman himself comes down and tries to convince her to go, and they have this exchange, and she just asks the question. She's, she lost her hope, and she, she asks it, is there any difference between up there and down here? Is there any difference between what's up there and what's down here? And Hackman looks at her face to face, eye to eye, heart to heart, if you will. And he says, yes. Life. Life is up there. That's really what the good news is all about. It's about life. Life as a present reality. Life in the age to come that is ours through Jesus Christ our Lord. There are only two ways, there are only two paths. One of life, one of death, and there's a great difference between the two. This morning we come to a time of invitation, and as we have heard the Lord's invitation... We recognize this continues to be the Lord's invitation to anyone who would accept it. Perhaps there are those who, to borrow an old phrase, have fallen off the narrow path, and you find yourself staying in the dining room. You have the opportunity right now to reorient yourselves, to turn toward God, to enter and walk that narrow road that few choose. If you would like to be immersed, I had a great exchange this morning with the fifth graders up here. Some of you in the auditorium saw that, and we talked about baptism. We talked about the waters and the, the forgiveness of sins and the, the coming of the Holy Spirit to indwell those who are baptized. If you have come to a state of belief, there's no time like the present. If you'd like to join in with what God is doing here among us here at Brentwood Oaks, We invite you to come to respond to the good news as we stand and as we sing.